Okay, this is, this is Up Close and Personal with K. Edward Copeland. You excited? Yeah. So my wife Shannon is down in Atlanta right now. She's waiting a flight to come back to Philly, and she texted me. She's like, how's the Restored Conference? I said, Ed is hitting it out of the park, and the ball is still rolling down the street. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for our time as we get to know Ed. God, thank you for uh, a good morning. Thanks for the lunch that we had, our time together. Lord, you fed us so richly with the physical food, but thank you for feeding us even more with the spiritual food from your word. We're just so grateful that, that Ed can be with us. Help us even during this time as, uh, as we draw him out to understand who he is as a man before you and what justice and mercy can look like, not only his life, but our lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael from Bloomsburg, the first Michael, where are you? Yeah, he's a media major, and he was telling me that the key for an interview is to be, that's a, that's a shout out. He told me that the key for an interview is to be casual yet directed. So this ain't an interrogation, but we're not going to meander either. So casual, how you doing? Good? Good. Good, good. And directional. So here's the directional. So, um, Ed, we're really grateful that you took time out of a really busy schedule. You're from the Chicago area. You flew out last night, here today. What motivated you in the midst of all the different opportunities that you have to do things to come here to be with us in this setting for this topic? In this season of my life, I feel um, uh, extra burden for the next generation of leaders. So and what I'm doing at the church, what I do with the Simeon Trust, even when I was part of the uh, Gospel Coalition, all of it was in service of making sure that what was done for me, I do for the next generation. And that is to say that from my father and a whole lot of other godly influences, people, from my perspective, for no good reason, poured a lot into me. Mm and to whom much is given, much is required. So I was very pleased to even have the invitation to come and be able to interact with students, interact with um, young champions for the kingdom that are coming up and to see if there's any kind of way I can encourage or stimulate and provoke yeah. uh, this next generation into love and good works. Well, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you, I, I listened to uh, your podcast. That is part of a po podcast called Preacher's Talk, which is excellent. And I've noticed in your comments on that that your dad has had a huge, huge influence on you. What has been his influence on you, particularly in this area, as you look at life, justice, mercy? So my father was of a particular generation he was born in 1933, grew up in, or was born in uh, Dotson, Louisiana. And his, <laughs> his saying was, to me was, if you see a good fight, go and jump in it. <laughs> and he meant good fight in the uh, way that John Lewis uses the word good fight, that something worth fighting for, that go get in the middle of it. And he literally modeled that all of my life, I mean, we, we have slightly different temperaments. Um, I'm a, a mama's boy, and my mother had a tremendous, has still, 
tremendous impact on me as it relates to the disciplines of the Christian life and what mercy and compassion actually mean and all those types of things. But in terms of public-facing ministry, uh, my father was very influential by his modeling and by his instruction as it relates to not just letting people be treated any kind of way and you not do something about it. You don't say something about it. That that was part and parcel of our Christian duty that yes, we're not going to live our best life now, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make life better for other people if we can. Yeah. Yeah. So that was how he lived his life and that's what he, what he instilled in my sister and I as we were growing up. He pastored in Kankakee, Illinois, which is 55 miles south of Chicago, small community, uh, city, 27,000 people. And he, um, to show you the type of person he was, he never, he never shut down the church. Now, that doesn't sound like much, except, okay, we lived in, in Illinois, 50 miles south of Chicago. There's a thing called the hawk. I know you're not familiar with it, but that's Chicago terminology for a cold wind. Hmm. And there was nothing. I, I remember one Sunday... The wind chill was 70 below. And on the news, they said, don't go out because if you go out and something happens, you know, we're not going to come get you. The first responders <laughs> aren't going to get you. But it was a Sunday. I saw the news and dad woke me up and said, well, Ed, get up. I said, oh, dad, you didn't hear the news. The uh, newscaster said, don't go out because, you know, wind chill is 70 below. He said, well, somebody might show up. We went to church, windshield 70 below. I was hot, too. I'm an organist, so I'm sitting on the organ, hot. Smoke coming out my ears. And I'll be doggone if five people didn't show up. And he, he preached to those five as if he was preaching to 500. Is that right? Wow. And so that was what he instilled in me. Never miss an opportunity, if you can, to try to uh, preach the gospel wherever God sends you. But more importantly, be faithful and be committed. What, a, what an example. So when, when do you feel like you owned your faith? Because, you know, when, when you grow up, and it just becomes part of what you do at your culture. But I feel like there's a point at which it ain't just my dad or my mom. This is, this is mine. That's a good uh, question. So I prayed to receive Christ when I was eight years old when my father was pastoring in another community in Elwood, Kansas. Uh, but when I was 14 years old, it just so happens by God's providence that the state Baptist convention was in the community where I now live. The headquarters was, uh, the host church was a church that's around the corner from where I pastor now. I was 14 years old and we went to the, me and two of my friends went to a little youth, whatever the youth class was. And the guy asked, well, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain where you would spend eternity? Hmm. And at that time, this is back in the time when evangelism explosion and yep. all of that was real popular. At that time, I hadn't heard that question like that. Even though I had prayed to receive Christ when I was eight, I hadn't heard of like eternal security or assurance of salvation, anything like that. So he walked us through the gospel and showed us some scripture and all that kind of stuff, uh, how, how one uh, has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means. Hmm. Once my friends and I got that clarity we went back home. That was the summer of 1976. We went back home and a revival broke out in our youth group. 
the youth group went from three to like 100 in a summer. We had a 115-voice choir eventually, just young people, and we would fast every Friday. Still, like, I'm 61 now. Still do. The friends and I that came out of that group still fast every Friday. We would break the fast at midnight over at somebody's house. I don't know why our parents would let us do it, but <laughs> at midnight, it'd be a gang of, of us that break the fast. We pray, we go out witnessing because there was a strain of fundamentalism in our sort of uh, community. Yeah. And so we heard that this is 1976, we heard that the world was going to end in 1984, I think it was. Yeah, it didn't. So we were like, well, man. <laughs> but we didn't know that, we so we said, know. we got to get busy. So yeah. we would go out witnessing, yeah. you know, after school, we'd be doing all kind of stuff. My father had to pull us in because we had a lot of zeal without knowledge. Yeah. But the point was, we were on fire, yeah. and we owned that thing. Yeah. To the extent there was at least 26 preachers came out of that group. There's at least 12 of us that are literally all over the country right now. That's why my phone, my phone is buzzing right now. Somebody's texting in my little group. There's about 12 of us that have been together since we were 14 years old. And we still fast and pray together. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. and, can I, and if I can say oh, this, oh, yeah, yeah. and to whatever extent God has used me or to whatever extent I'm, I'm anything in the Lord, it's been because of my father, because of the godly men in the church that I came out of, and mainly because of those brothers who we've been brothers for almost five decades now. Wow, that's wonderful. You know, I, I became a Christian, too, when people thought the world was going to end in 1984. Yeah. I remember some friends that we used to do rapture practice. We used to jump up and down. Hey, we thought it was, yeah. Got to get ready. Yeah. Got to get, get ready. Yeah, yeah. And then when 84 came, they said it was going to be in 88. <laughs> We're going that was a thing back in the day, for real. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on. So, <laughs> we'll have rapture practice later, just so you know. So, so, Ed, you are, by God's grace, an accomplished man. You're not only a pastor, an effective preacher, you're a lawyer. You're an accomplished musician. You could do a lot of things. Why are you doing what you're doing? Oh, that's a great question, I try only ask. <laughs> God's hand on me as it relates to the burden of preaching and pastoring is something I cannot escape. As it relates to the other things, um, whether it be music, I started as a musician because my father, as a pastor, was having so many problems with the musicians, with the music department. And as a teenager, about, yeah, I was about 16 years old. I could see how it was weighing on him. And he said, I said, Daddy, buy me an organ. I'll learn how to play. And then you won't ever have to ask anybody to play for you anymore. So he bought me an organ. Uh, the local Church of God in Christ organist, his name is Dwayne Rucker. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Church of God in Christ, but as they would uh, be in their praise and worship, I'll use that terminology, as they would be... Mm, in the service, he would let me sit up on the organ with him, and I would just watch him play, and then I picked up things and then, you know, went forward from there. So I didn't choose music by 
uh, I, I wasn't musically inclined. There's nobody in my family musically inclined. It was a need that needed to be met. And I made a promise that, hey, if I learn how to play, nobody's going to have to ask me. And so then when I went to the University of Illinois, got connected with the University of Illinois Black Chorus, I've been their composer in chief for the last 30 years and been playing and all that kind of stuff. As it relates to law, um, I had a speech impediment when I was like real young. I have a recording of when I was like four years old. I can't even understand what I was saying. And when I was all the way up to fourth grade, very often I would know the answer, but the teachers couldn't understand what I was saying and my friends would have to interpret for me. Hmm. And so I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling of, for lack of a better word, voicelessness and needing somebody to, I know the answer, but you can't understand me. So my friend, I'll never forget, and I'm getting ready to tear up right now thinking about it. My friend Craig Burns would speak for me. He said such and such, such and such, this, that, and other. And I remember that feeling. I said, well, I'm going to learn how to speak for other people. And if, if, if you help me, if you help me, ain't nobody, nobody's going to be voiceless and I'm around. I'm, I'm going to make sure their voice is heard. And God honored that. He gave me opportunity to go to law school and then, you know, to practice law. Wow, wow. How, so I love that image, voicelessness. How does that then impact your burden for justice and mercy? That's, that's a very good question. So there's so much that we can unpack there, but a lot of it has to do with when a lot of it has to do with empathy mm. when you know how it feels to either be voiceless to be mishandled you know to be otherized then you don't you, you at least for me it has hit me differently when i see others in that situation and then to know as i've grown in my understanding of scripture, that wait a minute, that's how God, so Romans chapter 15 says, accept uh, others as, as Christ has accepted you. Yeah. Welcome others as he's welcomed you and all that type of thing. When I got hold of scriptures and said, wait a minute, this is not just an instinct of mine. This is not just some kind of uh, wound in me that I'm trying to work out. But this is actually God's heart and it's not just in a scripture, it's throughout scripture that God, even the incarnation is about God in his privileged position deciding to come in, in compassion and love and empathy, identify with us so he could get us where we needed to be. So all of my life experience my father's modeling plus my growing understanding of scripture have informed my sort of involvement with justice and mercy where I am. So there's two things with that. One, I've come to the conclusion that I cannot be responsible for things out of my purview that I have no contact with. Mm -hmm. But I can be responsible for the good fight that is right where I am. So in Rockford, for example, I've been engaged with the public school system because there's a lot of inequity there. To the extent that my wife went back to school after the kids got grown, now she's an assistant principal. My daughter is a 
second grade teacher. My son is a, a music teacher. My youngest son is uh, finishing, up at, uh, finishing up this year at Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. He'll probably be a teacher too because all of them have natural gifts. But we decided that, hey, there's darkness here. There, it's dark and unsavory there, so we need some salt and light there. So let's figure out how we can get in the middle of that. So I work with, I'm the operating board chairman of a group called Alignment Rockford, where basically we marshal human capital and all that kind of stuff to help support the public schools. I'm also part of a group in Illinois called Advance Illinois, where we do policy advocacy and all that kind of stuff. And we're the ones that actually changed the formula for how schools were funded in Illinois because it was inequitable. Schools like New Trier up in the Chicago suburbs were, were expending $26,000 per student where schools down south in Illinois were spending 5,000 mm. and your outcome was determined by your zip code. So we helped change the funding formula. That's what justice looks like to me. Okay, is there something I can do where I am? And at the same time, man, the whole system is messed up. Let's change the whole system so that the system is not crushing mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I get that from Isaiah 58, uh, where it talks about, is this not the fast that I've chosen? That's right. So on and so forth. That's, right. That's one of those scriptures back in the day, you know, when we thought we were going to be raptured, that we would be studying, <laughs> studying every, every week in terms of what kind of fasting we needed to do. Okay. Let, me, <laughs> let me redirect away from the rapture. Okay, again. I'm okay. sorry. So... Having flashbacks. I know you are. I know you are. I'm keeping you. Keeping you here. So um, speak a little bit more because I think one of the challenges, my guess is, that we all face is that we look at issues of justice and mercy. That's what we're talking about today. And we're like, I can't do everything. So therefore, honestly, our reaction sometimes, I, I won't do anything, right? Right. Walk us that's, through that. That's a, see, this is, this is the tension in which we all live that we're exposed to more than what we can encounter or more than what we can influence. But God only holds us accountable for that which we have access to mm -hmm. and that which we can influence. So yes, I can, every school superintendent that has been in Rockford for these 23 years that I've been there, I've met them on their first day and said, okay, now what are you gonna do about the achievement gap? Mm. I can do that because I'm a citizen. I don't need a permission from anybody to go talk to somebody who I pay their salary. Mm. Same with the police chief. Every police chief that we've had in Rockford, I've gone and said, okay, now what are you going to do about this police brutality or this, you know, inequity over here? What are we going to do about that? Why? Because as a citizen, I can talk to people who are my employees. Mm -hmm. That's not, uh, not hubris. That's citizenship. Yeah. So as a good Christian, I ought to be a good citizen of the kingdom and the place where God has placed me. Because if, as I pray for and work for the peace of the city where I am, then I will have peace. And, yeah. you know, we will have peace and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, again, to be a little more succinct, that God gives opportunity according to our capacity where he plants us. You can't, I, I cannot solve what's happening in Palestine. Right. 
But I can get with the neighborhood watch and I can get with this local school and say, you know what, I want to mentor mm-hmm. here. I want to do whatever, whatever he gives me opportunity. I cannot, I cannot expend all of my energy posting on Facebook or X or Twitter or Snapchat. I don't know what you all use uh, up here. Protesting with my thumbs. <laughs> and then people are right into my neighborhood. I'm just like, okay, be well and be warm. Right. No, it starts right where I am. See, it's two things to this. And let me get off of this so we can get to the next question. One is, even as it relates to evangelism and discipleship, what did Jesus say? Acts chapter one. Okay, start at Jerusalem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then Judea, then Samaria, the almost parts of the world. So two mistakes we make. We want to go to the uttermost parts of the world and jump past Jerusalem, and we don't ever want to go to Samaria. Mm-hmm. Samaria is right next door where people are living and experiencing life much differently than I am. It's across the viaduct. It's on the other side of the tracks. It's on the other side of the river. And one of the ways that we can navigate this whole thing of, okay, I can't do everything, but I've been exposed to so much, is just... Okay, but what does Jerusalem look like for me? Is it, where do I need to be salt and light where I can control that? While I'm in school, yeah, I'm being exposed to even more. But I don't have capacity. He only, he gives me opportunity according to the capacity and the access that I have right now. So when when I was in school, yeah, I wasn't necessarily mentoring. I'm trying to get through school. I wasn't doing a whole bunch of whatever, but in my dorm, mm-hmm. I came out of the navigators. With the navigators, right. we could do what we could do at that point. Now, once, you know, I got out of school, then my access and opportunity changed, and it will continue to change until I see him face to face. That's great. That's great. Um, a lot of what you've said in your first couple sessions were really ringing loudly in our ears. And I want to key off of a couple of quotes. And my, my motivation for that is my section over there, as they respond, I'm like, I'm going to write it down and ask you about it, okay? There you go. So you said in your first section, you can trust God to do more than you understand because he is better than you imagine. Yeah. Okay. We're all snapping here. Right. Because this is like this is nice. We just had a great lunch. We're with each other. But we're still gonna leave Lancaster, Lancaster, right? Go out Lancaster. go back out into the real world. How does that how do we do that? Now this is a, a great question. So there's a few different layers to it. Mm. One obviously is that we pick the Psalms for a reason. The Psalms are songs. Songs are meant to be sung, rehearsed until they melt from the intellectual and emotional down to the volitional. And so it's meditating on, number one, just as a practical thing, is meditating on God's character, his attributes, and all that kind of stuff on a regular basis because we, come, we become like who, we, who or what we worship, mm-hmm. right? So that's one thing. But then the other piece of that uh, has to do, if, if I could say it this way, with this idea of rehearsing your own history. Do you journal? Do you ever reflect on how... God has interacted, how he's dealt with you. The very fact that you're in school when um, 
let me just say that the fact that you are a student means you're in a privileged position compared to most people your age, right? Uh, regardless of whatever neighborhood you came from. And so this idea of rehearsing or, or thinking back through my own personal history, keeping track of my history and how God has dealt with me keeps me tender as it relates to issues of compassion and empathy with other people and all those types of things. The other thing I would say, and this is a beautiful example of it, is that you stay tender to this idea that God is doing more than what I can understand when you listen more than you talk, when you listen to other people's stories, particularly people that don't run with your tribe, people who are not like you, who don't worship like you or vote like you or dress like you, all those types of things. But God still loves them and he's working in their lives too. As you hear the stories of other people, you recognize that some of my, some of my imagine, imaginings of God, no, let me say that different way. I'm sorry, pardon me. All of my imaginings of God are way too small. He's way bigger than what I can even fathom. But I can expand my understanding as I meditate on his word, as I review my own history, and as I listen to the stories of other people around me. That, those are some things I can do on a regular basis, on a daily basis, easily. That's not even a challenge. Now, obviously, as you do studies on the character of God, as you study the holiness of God and all those types of things, as you actually dig deeper into God's word, then that expands you as well. But it's the daily habits, the daily habits that are going to pay off the most in the long term, particularly rehearsing my own history. Because that's a lot of what the Psalms are, right? is recording what he's already done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes our concept of God atrophies because of amnesia. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's already done miracles in each one of our lives, and we forget, we act like, he, <laughs> we act like he's a new God, that he just, yep. you know, that he hadn't been exceptionally good. And that's because we forget a lot of stuff. There, there's this old hymn, I was talking about it last week, Count Your Many Blessings, name, name them one by one. And it's such a helpful practice for us to do it. Well, let me sort of lean into that a little bit more. You and I are actually the same age. So we grew up, I grew up in white suburban Catholic New Jersey, which is very different than your upbringing, okay? But both of us have seen huge strides in terms of justice, racism in our country, although there is still so far to go. How can we celebrate what has happened and yet still long for more? In other words, how can we have grateful discontent? Because we don't want to be like, oh, everything's horrible. Well, things are getting better, but things still need to get better. How do you do that? Man, you ask good questions. So (laughs) what do you say? Grateful discontent. Yeah. Yeah. You need to uh, hashtag that. So, <laughs> or hash brown, as they say. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the, the part of it has to do with this. This grateful discontent, part of it has to do with recognizing. There's another great hymn my father used to sing. 
A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save, fitted for the sky, fitted for the sky. To serve this present age, my calling to fulfill, oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. So this idea of, okay, it's a relay race, and I've been handed the baton, what am I going to do? That yes, we have made progress, but that was in another part of the relay. What are we doing in my leg? And how can I push this leg of the relay forward? Recognizing, again, we live in the gap. Recognizing that, okay, yes, one day God is going to make all things new. Yes, he's going to deal with all the injustice one day. But I'm living here now. And what does, I pray this, I ask this question every day. Lord, what do you require of me in this situation? Because I can't be responsible for what I have no access, no opportunity, no influence over. But you put me right here. What do you require of me? And not only that, what do you require of us? You know, as a worshiping congregation, as a collective, all those types of things. How can I help to move this thing forward? So, yes, we, we would be dishonest not to acknowledge that, that there's progress that has been made from my great-grandfather having to sleep up under the house mm. and the dogs keeping him warm, to my grandfather who had to leave, <laughs> my grandfather who had to leave Arkansas uh, to go to Louisiana because he intervened in uh, a plantation owner who was about to beat his cousin to death. And my grandfather, he wasn't built like that. So he intervened and then he had to get out of town that night. To my dad, who when he was 11 years old, my father, my grandfather told him when they come, not if they come, when they come, Take out as many as you can. He's talking about the night Riders, so they would keep a, a shotgun next to the door. And Daddy told, my granddaddy told Daddy, okay, when they come, just take out as many as you can. Yeah. Now, I don't even own a gun. Mm-hmm. My children have, have friends, have people over the house all the time of all different ethnicities and races. Yeah. Can I share this story? One time, my, my son is a musician. When he's in high school, I came up to his room one day, and there was a white girl in the closet. I literally lost my mind. Everything that had happened, everything that had happened to my grandfather, my, my daddy, or whatever, I was, I was literally, I was shaking. I was like, what is this? Well... They were musicians. He had set up a, he would set up a microphone and his equipment in the closet because that's where the best acoustics were. And they were, they were singing and neither one of them could figure out why I was shaking and sweating because I'm like, you gonna get us all killed with this white girl in the closet. But that's how far we've come, that he, they couldn't even, that didn't even, what are you talking about? This is my friend, you know what I'm saying? They were singing. And they were literally, 
he showed me. I mean, they were ready, getting ready for their musical. You know, I met the, uh, the young lady's mother. She didn't have no problem with her being all around us. It was a whole different thing. And I'm like, wow, I need to catch up a little bit with... <laughs> <laughs> they were singing. They were singing. All right, we're going to move on. All right. He don't believe me. That was actually singing. Oh, no, I believe you. They don't believe you. So, as is going on. God, <laughs> That's a good line. We were singing. All right. We believe you. We totally do. Let... We got, we got 11 minutes. Okay, let's get one more here. Let's talk about Batman. Okay. Okay. You didn't say he wasn't a superhero, which we're thankful. You said he didn't have superpowers. Oh, right. Because he has a utility belt. That's right. What should be in our utility belt? Oh, my gosh. This guy. <laughs> you already mentioned knowing, knowing some of the scripture. Rehearsing our story, God's faithfulness. Anything else should be in our utility belt? I'm trying to catalog a few things. A missionary mindset. That's what me and who and I were talking. We were talking at lunch. Brother, raise your hand while we were talking about this. Okay. There is. Yeah. This idea of the missionary what I mean by that, this missionary impulse, if we're going to do justice and mercy, we can't make assumptions. The best practice as it relates to missionary is as you encounter a culture, you don't come in with preconceived notions, you don't come with assumptions, you don't come trying to impose your whatever. You come humble as a student. You come to learn so that you can be part of what is already established as opposed to trying to make it into something. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we have to learn how to do so that you can transition from uh, campus ministry, even into church ministry, so that you can enter into spaces where mercy is required and justice needs to be established, you can't come in as an expert. Mm -hmm. You gotta come in with empathy and humility to be taught because there's some things you can, we, we got to stop doing the Samaritan shuffle. See, what we'll do is some of us will even be good enough to start in uh, Jerusalem and even Ju Judea, but we go around Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, not recognizing there's some things you can learn in Samaria. There's some humility you can learn in Samaria that's going to help you when you get to the uttermost parts of the world. Yeah. That's in evangelism, that's in discipleship, that's in issues of justice and mercy that I don't understand all that is, uh, happens in domestic violence. But I can be humble enough to listen and to be taught so that I can get in that space as a Christian and bring some salt and light to it. I don't understand everything as it relates to uh, being a returning citizen, you know, and all the, uh, the policy and practical barriers that you face. But I can be astute. I can't learn from the culture so that I can be a blessing to the culture. So one of the things is humility. Just you gotta, you gotta maintain this mindset of a student, an humble learner. Uh, and obviously, the art, uh, another useful tool in your utility belt as it relates to humility 
is this idea of learning the art and science of developing and maintaining friendships with people who are not from your tribe. I'm talking about genuine friendships. I'm not talking about, oh, I got a black friend, oh, I got a white friend. I'm talking about like actually doing life with somebody who is not like you. Learning that art, learning that science, which again, takes humility and it takes more because there's always gonna be gaffes. There's always gonna be misunderstanding. There's always gonna be ways that we're stepping on each other's toes, not intentionally, but until we get each other's rhythm, there are going to be ways that we're gonna rub each other the wrong way. But I have to learn that art and science. I need to have that because I'm gonna need that the rest of my life. I'm going to need to engage uh, God is going to use me to engage people from other places where salt and light is needed, particularly in the area of justice and mercy. So for me, what that means is, uh, as an attorney, and, and I practice as a public defender and all that kind of stuff, once I got on the pastoral side and started dealing with returning citizens and those who are re-entering society, I couldn't bring all my juris doctorate and, well, when I was attorney, when I was... A, no, no, sit down, be quiet, and listen to their experience so that you can get over in their life, so you can get in the playpen with them. And then now you can pray effectively, you can be a good friend, and you can advocate like you need to advocate. That's really great. Yeah, that's really great. You asked me if I would ask you yeah. about music. This is the last Justin. one. So well, no, it's not. It's the second to last. Oh, okay. So... Okay. So I give a brief. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so, but well, we can go overtime a little because okay. you might not be invited back, but they're stuck with me, so that's okay. okay. Yeah, you will I'll be. Keep your job. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> two things. Uh, it's interesting, and I said it before that these are psalms and they're meant to be sung. But one of the things that I think that we're missing, and where's my brother? Uh, yeah, just wrote the book. What's the name of the book? Wait. Just be honest, yeah, so get that book, the idea of lament. I just taught a black sacred music, black sacred music symposium down at the University of North Carolina, Winston-Salem last week. And we were dealing with this idea of why don't we sing more about justice? Mm. Why don't we sing about widows or orphans or the immigrants? That's what the Bible does literally in the book of Psalms and that's what seems to be God's heart. So this idea of making sure that our, this gets back to this uh, utility belt, make sure that your playlist that you regularly listen to is not stuck on one track. Mm. Learn how to listen to music from other parts of the Christian family. Because within the black sacred music tradition, for example, there's a few hidden jewels that could really promote health in the larger Christian community if you would listen. One of them is lament, specifically corporate lament. There's a style of singing in the old African-American church called Dr. Watts. Dr. Isaac Watts, for whatever reason, the black church really gravitated toward some of the hymns of Isaac Watts. Mm -hmm. So I love the Lord, he heard my cry and pitied every groan. Long as I live while trouble rise, I'll hasten to his throne. Mm. I love the Lord. He bowed his head and chased my griefs away. Uh, oh, let 
me now, and I forgot that hymn, forgot that part of them. Uh, while I have breath to pay, pray. Let me to his grace, uh, let me to his grace appeal while I, I have breath to pray. Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help I know. All of this is corporate lament. And so one of the ways when we didn't have access to therapists and a whole bunch of other things that the African-American church survived was we knew how to lament together. And we would take time to lament. That's why sometimes in, if you visit an African-American church, you'll sing some of the same hymns, but it's like, man, why do they sing them so long? Or why do they keep repeating them? So together, have you ever heard the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? Oh, yeah. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege is to carry all, everything to God in prayer. That's 10 seconds. African-American church, we would still be on friend. What <laughs> a friend we have. In and you say, well, you say, well, why is that? What, what is going on behind that? Why would that, why are you doing it like that? It's because corporately we're waiting for everybody to get in on it. Mm. And we're going to keep on repeating it until every, every heart is free. Mm. So, that's, that's a tool, that's a, a skill, that's a mode and method that the larger church could take advantage of. And then you wouldn't, I'm not saying it would replace therapy, but there is a way that we could help each other by learning how to lament. There's another part of uh, black sacred music tradition that speaks to this issue of justice and longing and living in the gap, where our biblical theology is shorthand, uh, the spirituals codify the biblical theology of God's justice in shorthand. So say, wait, wait, say that again. I can't. I was okay, okay. I was calculating it in my mind. The spirituals codify the biblical theology of God's justice in shorthand. That was good. So, what does that mean? Um. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Oh, Martha, don't you moan. Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Wait a minute. Mary and Martha, that's New Testament. Pharaoh, that's Old Testament. How you would... No, no. We understand the pattern of God's justice. So Mary, even though you're living in the gap right now, you can trust that God is better... <laughs> and what you understand it to be because Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea. So whatever it is is causing you to cry, one day he's going to deal with it. So didn't my, God, didn't my God deliver Daniel? Didn't my God deliver Daniel? And why not every man? The same God that delivered Daniel, he'll deliver me. See, so it's this... It's this rich biblical theology that the untrained ear and those who would just like to discount anything that didn't come from their tribe would just say, oh, that's just simple. When in point of fact, no, no. It's the biblical theology of justice codified in shorthand. I love it. I love it. I got one more question. We're, we're, we're over time, but Familia from Penn State has a question. I'm going to ask, can, can we do that? Can I, a couple of minutes? Okay. She wanted to know, I think many of us do as well, 
that on these campuses, a lot of the resources and teaching in this area are, there's some good, there's just a lot of, yeah. a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Can you point us to, and I'm going to try to narrow you here, if there was one book mm. or maybe one podcast that you're like, this would be really good for your mind and your soul in this area, what would it be? Mm. Other than Clint's book. <laughs> hmm. Now that's a tough one. You, tell you what. What do you think about? Do, do you have an answer? Because I'm going to say you can maybe announce it at the start. I can, uh, I'm going to think about it some more, and I'll announce it at uh, when I uh, get back up. But I want to say that maybe this is an opportunity for God to do in your space what I know he can do, and that is create resources from within the context in which you serve based on the scripture as you collectively meditate on them. What I mean by that is that for a music ministry, maybe you don't have to wait until Maverick City or Faith City or Hillsong or whoever Maybe you don't have to wait until they come out with their next project. You got a Bible. You got a, <laughs> you got a hymnal. God don't love them any more than he loves you. Maybe there's something within your context that the Holy Spirit is trying to bubble up musically. And the same is true curriculum. That I can't off the top of my head name a podcast per se or a just like one book sure. uh, that I could recommend specifically in this space, but that does not mean that God is not speaking in your context because you got a Bible too. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I don't have to wait for Crossway, the Navigators, the Gospel Coalition, the, and I'm in all of them. Mm -hmm. I'm part of all of that. But why you got to wait for that when you got a Bible? Yeah, that's great. And the same Holy Spirit that loved me, love you. But I'll think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up. We are so grateful you are here with us.